you know, when I was pregnant, I took excellent care of myself, the best care I've ever taken of myself. And I was like, oh, this is a very different way to live, you know, where you just like sleep when you're tired. Um, and I had really never been able to offer that to myself before. Hey, Lit Mamas, welcome. You're listening to This Mama is Lit, the podcast where we explore the many multi-sided questions of motherhood. I'm Amanda Fields, Editor-in-Chief of Literary Mama and a Divorced Mom of One. I'm Holly Rizzuto-Polker, Profiles Editor at Literary Mama. I'm a mom to three amazing children and a cute Jack Russell. And I'm Brianna. I have two kids and I'm also a Profiles Editor. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Is it tomorrow that your book launches? <laughs> yeah. I feel really stressed, honestly. And like, I feel shitty saying that because this was everything that I wanted and things are going really well and you know I'm so grateful for all the support and all of it and also it's very stressful I could make the argument that's true of like anything that we want in life mm. and for me anyways like yeah and it's so unfair because I want things to just be good <laughs> having kids I mean right yeah. yes our guest today is Margot Steinis She's a writer, copy editor, writing teacher, and mother, and her work has been published in the New York Times, Slate, The Sun, and elsewhere. And her book, Brutalities, brings up really interesting questions about pain and toughness and violence, and she couches it in this overarching story of her pandemic pregnancy. So the book brought up for me a lot of questions about how the themes explored in stories of her pre-parenthood experience would carry over to parenthood. In this episode, we talk about bodies, the bodily autonomy of small children and hair brushing. And we also talk about our relationships to our bodies, both before and after becoming parents. If you were going to describe yourself as a mother in five words or fewer, what would you say? Let me let me contextualize this by saying that at 4.30 this morning, I was woken up to a yelling of, gotta poop. And like, I'm like, you're so amazing that you woke up and didn't like shit in the bed. But also it's 4.30 in the morning. Um, I, I'm very warm. I am messy and loving, communicative, and also erratic. Like my patience level really takes some wild swings. And sometimes I wonder if that's actually worse than just being sort of like low-key impatient all the time. I relate to that. So in terms of your past experiences, having control over your body or not, being hurt or not, your work um, as a dominatrix, how have those past experiences with different degrees of control over your own body affected your experiences sharing your body with your child? Well, I mean, we talk about consent a lot in my house, um, which is something that, you know, I mean, to some degree, that is like one of the things that um, I received from BDSM is like, those are conversations that are always happening. And not that there aren't, not that problematic shit doesn't happen all the time also but you know I think it's a space where like no one's like surprised when you bring that up do you know what I mean it's it's like part of the sort of fabric of that culture and those feel like important conversations definitely um and ones that I you know wish that I had received earlier um but in terms of like you know having a body that has received a lot of questionable treatment you know I feel very different since I had my child like I'm 
much kinder to myself if not you know in like what I'm actually saying in my head than like in the you know in the material treatment that I give myself um some of that is I also became like much like my chronic illness really accelerated right around the same time so it, you know who's to say what was what but like I am no longer able to push myself the way that I once did to like push and neglect myself um but also some of it is like my body now is like the vessel for care for someone else and I you know we still nurse which so it feels like very literal like if I don't eat if I don't sleep if I get too sick like I can't make milk and you know when I was pregnant I took excellent care of myself the best care I've ever taken of myself and I was like oh this is a very different way to live you know where you just like sleep when you're tired um and I had really never been able to offer that to myself before so that's been good and also complicated because I had a lot of identity tied up in you know sort of abnegation of physical need like what happened to that identity like has something else come in have you become is it one of many different ways of being in the world that you could choose from now if you wanted to um I mean it's still there it's just like I've really shrunk it you know and I have more limits for myself I guess now it feels more like an indulgence than anything else (laughs) and I limit it the way I limit a lot of other indulgences um, which does feel like a capacity that has grown in me from some combination of just like being older having worked on myself a lot having removed myself from so many sites of trauma like there's no trauma there's no active trauma in my life now which is something that is relatively recent you know um and and then you know becoming a parent um so I let myself have a little, a little as a treat. Um, I feel like, you know, skip line, which is so embarrassing. But no, I don't really have any like fucked up habits anymore. That's like the worst thing I do to myself, you know, where I like exercise outside when it's too hot. Um, <laughs> or like, you know, I, I'll, I won't sleep. That's probably really what it is. Yeah. It's actually like, kill me faster than any of these things. Um, mitochondrial decay. Right now, it doesn't seem like I'll ever be sort of like separate from that awareness or like desire, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I am stressed, that is like the first thing I go to is like some version of sort of removal of care. I feel very clear that there's like a limit to it, you know? And so it doesn't really worry me the way it used to. Like, I'm not going to, you know, I certainly hope, like I shouldn't say it so arrogantly, but I'm not going to like descend into self-harm in a way that I used to. Yeah. Yeah. I also like the stakes are different. You know, it used to be like, oh, I ruined my life. Like those were the stakes. Um, and like make my parents sad. But you know, that was kind of it. And now it's like, I feel a strong sense of, I think I got this from my father, like a strong sense of duty as a parent, you know, emotionally, financially, logistically, all of it. Um, like I need to be here. When we talked for the, how I wrote this podcast, you said that you were afraid of, of people thinking that you're a bad mother. What kind of mother did you hope to be? You know, it's funny. I thought about it very little. I had a long, very protracted, very painful, you know, infertility journey. And I thought so much about being pregnant. And I had so many ideas and fantasies and whatever. And then they all sort of like stopped before the kid arrived. And hmm. so I didn't really, I had like a very vague sense of who I would be or who I wanted to be, but, but very nonspecific. I mean, I think, you know, being a parent has always been about care to me, which feels so obvious that it like, doesn't need to be said but then I think some people maybe have other ideas of what it means I think my idea of maybe like the kind of mothering that I would like to have now you know is like 
you know, radical acceptance, someone you can tell anything to, someone who will always support you no matter how much, how badly you fucked up, and someone who will sort of fill in all the gaps of all the love that you aren't getting anywhere else, you know? Mm -hmm. Which is still kind of what I want to be, but I think there's a danger there in making your child very coach. (laughs) (laughs) Which is valuable to recognize, I think, because if we can see the insufficiency of even our personal perfect mother, we can be kinder to ourselves, I think, about and more realistic. In her book, Touched Out, Motherhood, Misogyny, Consent, and Control, Amanda Montai writes that she struggled with her growing awareness that the lack of autonomy she felt in motherhood reiterated everything she had been urged to believe about her body since she was a girl. I feel like I can definitely hear the echo of those words in my own experience in terms of the degree to which I sometimes catch myself thinking my children are entitled to my body. Do you relate to any of that? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I think that I I do really have the capacity to like pause and like think it through before responding or reacting when I feel like that. But yeah, there have definitely been moments like I get... um, I'm like very easily overstimulated, as you can tell by my decor. And, you know, my home is set up like we don't have plastic toys. We don't have noise making toys. Like that is like a hard fucking line for me. So it's less about like my kid hits me here and there. And that's actually not that big a deal to me. But the like racket is, you know, Um, and sometimes I'll just feel like I'm going to like my head is going to something implode. And then once in a while, she'll like put her finger in my face where I'm like, oh, this is an outsized reaction, you know? But I think I have spent so many years of my life being um, handled physically in a way that felt totally unacceptable to me and just like tamping that reaction down to the point that I didn't even like register it. And now I really don't have any of that. Like I have space to respond authentically to whatever's happening. And so, like, I have space to respond authentically, you know? Yeah. And, and and she, like, my relationship with her is really the only space where I'm being, like, like physically harassed now, you uh-huh. know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. But it sounds like you have, like, so much, like, awareness and space around that experience of being physically harassed at this point that it really doesn't trigger, yeah. like, you know, the same way. Yeah. Was. Yeah. I mean, like, it feels, I, I can manage that. Yeah, the noise is the the noise and the clutter gets me much faster. Amanda on on Instagram once she shared something that was like it was like uh, about motherhood, and it was like I have heard too many noises, and now I am a bitch, something like that. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> I can relate to that. I was struck by your note about hair pulling being something you truly don't like in the book, probably because, and you said this that it's probably because um, way back when your overextended mother was pulling a comb through your snarls, you really didn't like it then. And it's really interesting to me that that pain of like your hair pulling related to this pain of having your hair combed in theory, like that is sort of attached to care and being cared for was so markedly upsetting in a way that this other pains weren't. And it made me think about all the ways actually that I have to cause my children pain that I don't want to, but that we all do like all the time. And, you know, like changing a diaper that is going to make their butt cold and they don't want it and they scream, right? So what are those moments like for you as a parent? And sort of how does your experience in those moments where we have to cause our children pain 
how do those moments relate to what you wrote in the book about how the bodily autonomy of small children feels personal to me, too personal, perhaps? Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I am, you know, sort of haunted by all of those moments, you know, and like with my kids, long hair, we've never cut it. Um, we're all, you know, a little attached to it. And she fucking hates having her hair brushed, like hates it. And, you know, I, before I had to do that, I was like, I will never use any kind of force. And now I'm like, well, there's the easy way and the hard way. And the hard way is I hold you in some kind of a headlock. So, you know, I try to be slow. I try not to go too fast. I try to at least narrate what I'm doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think I've like talked to my sister about this. I do think that was a space where my mother let out of some of her frustration because yeah. <laughs> my sister remembers like that my dad, who was like in no way the caregiver of the family used to be like, I'll do your hair. Um, and like was, she remembered him being very gentle and it was like this very tender moment with them because he had no other caregiving responsibilities. He was able, um, to do that. And my mom was like juggling three kids in the job. And like, I, now I, I have so much more compassion for that where I'm like, that was the best you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if it's just, it's such a like visceral memory for me. And in trying to piece together, you know, the question of like how I became someone um, who was so unable or unwilling to have any boundaries for my own body with others, mm-hmm. you know, I sort of looked back to like, where are the seeds of these things? And so when I said like the bodily autonomy of small children is, um, you know, sort of like a high key issue for me, I do. I remember so many things of just being like, that doesn't feel right. And, you know, just like whether it was just like, um, like a hug I didn't want, like any of that shit, having to like wear some uncomfortable dress that was like totally gender dysphoric for me. Like just like all these things where it was like my, the needs of my body are not even on the table here. And my parents are like, they were like very good parents and like on the whole, you know, listen to me. And I was not really forced into doing shit like in a big way that was unhealthy for me, but you know, they care about being polite and shit like that. And they're from the Midwest and it was a different generation. So, and you know, and then I think of like, Oh, how did that play out when I was like an older child? And how did that play out when I was a young teenager? And then, you know, I'm like a young teenager getting like fucked by grown men. And like, how did we get from one to the next? Um, so, you know, looking back when someone wants to hug my kid like she doesn't have to fucking do that ever and when someone you know touches her without asking her consent or mine like I fucking say something so that she sees a model for like how to speak up for yourself that it's okay to make people uncomfortable that it's okay to make yourself uncomfortable and that a moment of you know social dis-ease is preferable to holding that feeling in your body of being touched in a way that you didn't want that makes sense. And it's, and is very inspiring, like as a parent and a person to hear. But in the moment when you want to comb her hair, do you feel like that you are harming her personal autonomy in some way? Sometimes, sometimes I'm like, maybe you want to have hair that tangles like that. But then like, I know like that hurt. That's not what you want in the same way that like, I would never leave her in a dirty diaper when she was younger. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, and you know, I've read a lot of good resources that say like they give language for that for like, you know, you're the boss of your body, but you know, we as your parents help you when something needs to to keep your body safe. Um, but, but brushing brushing hair isn't really for their like safety. Yeah, that's true. 
Yeah, I mean, to some degree, it's about propriety. And there's, yeah, I mean, like, there's some hypocrisy there for sure. But I also say a lot, I'm like, you can get a haircut if you want. We never have to do this. Like, her brother has very short hair and never has to brush his hair. And, you know, would I secretly be sad if she wanted to cut her beautiful hair off? Like, I would, but also I would totally support her in, in, in doing that. I like that. I might actually use that. I might say, like, look, you can brush it or you can cut it. My my 10-year-old was still up until this summer doing the hair thing. So what I did was I took her to Target. I mean, she's older. And I was like, let's get, like, a leave-in conditioner. Let's, and you're going to, like, take control of this yourself. Yeah. <laughs> because you need to decide what to do. We can cut it. No, cut it. So it's actually helped. And for the first, like, school session ever, she's been her hair and not asking me to brush it and kind of, like, taking care of it. And so I'm like, oh, we've had this breakthrough. But, I mean, she's older, obviously, but putting it in her control kind of changed the dynamics for me. Yeah, I love that. I think, yeah, once she's older, like, I don't care if her hair looks messy. I just, like, right now she's got, like, hummus in it. Do you know what I mean? Like, My daughter will choose clothes that have stains or clothes that are too small. And every time it happens, I'm like, it's her body. She gets to choose. And inside, I'm like, oh, my God, every adult who sees her is going to judge me. (laughs) Everybody is going to think that I don't have unstained clothes. Everybody is going to think. And it's like, it's this constant morning. (laughs) And she goes, she usually goes with the stains and it's fine. But I find I find uh, questions about her bodily autonomy come up for me on a daily basis. Like, what is her decision and what is really mean looking out for her has your body changed since your child was born and has your relationship to your body changed since your child was born well my body has changed a lot (laughs) yeah Um, yeah I mean I think they both have I I was I have really always like my body has been the site of my identity for my whole life previously and to some degree it is still because now like the identity is parent but but you know I used to be a serious athlete and now I jog a little 5k once a week, you know, but the athletics now are like not really an identity thing for me. Like the degree to which I train is like mediated by my health and a lot of other stuff. So sometimes my body just feels invisible, um, where I used to have a body and I don't mean this the way it sounds, but I used to have like a remarkable body in that like people would mention it a lot because I was like, I was like very, uh, like I was like pretty jacked for a while and people aren't used to seeing muscles on women. Um, and you know, a long time before that, I was like, you know, alarmingly thin and I had mostly recovered in tattoos. So there, you know, there's like something, it's a conversation starter. Um, and now I feel often like I can just disappear into a crowd invisibly, which is both like, I'm like a magic trick and such a freedom and then also like devastating on some way on some level and that I think for me like as a holistic person I think is a good direction um though it definitely feels like a big loss um and not all of that is about it's like aging right like I'm 40 now so that's both like you know obviously good and then also you know having spent so much of my younger life using my appearance to get you know everything like security love money resources all of the things it's like oh like what like a i've been like investing in the wrong thing and b it's very precarious when you're like oh i have nothing now you know and not like to be like that but like you know to be like this is a resource that is has been like leaned on improperly and is not like no one can hold on to like 
being young hot like no one gets to keep that you know right so how i mean it just sounds i keep being like so how do you relate to that or like so what does that do but it sounds like you're really good at just being like and that sucks yeah yeah there are parts of it that are hard and then i think you know i think it's also something that comes for everyone you know and i think the more it is my suspicion that the more you have relied on your looks the harder that transition is um so in some ways, like, it's been great that it's been sort of couched in parenthood because I have this other thing that I care deeply about that has, you know, sort of edged in sideways rather than just being like, I'm faded, you know? <laughs> yeah. But then also, like, I think the other side of that is, like, I got to really maximize my hot years, you know? <laughs> so. <laughs> That's good. That's good. In Brutalities, you write, I don't live in this body. I am this body, which I loved. Is there, have you had any other realizations related to motherhood about that idea in addition to what we've already talked about? I'm not really a, additional ones, but just like a deepening of that experience of like, you know, this schism that I had experienced between like this vehicle that I'm driving around in and my selfhood now feels I'm like, how did that ever feel? feel like a thing but now it's you know I think in large part a reflection of how I was treating myself right like I had to other myself to do all of those things I don't do those things anymore and so I'm able to um you know have a sort of more integrated sense of self that like incorporates whatever the like ephemeral idea of self and then like this this thing it sounds like saying that uh there's the vehicle and there's the self and before you became a mother they were very separate um, and sort of like you made them separate to like kind of survive and um, like deal with situation. And now in motherhood, they have come together as one. Is that right? I mean, you know, like work in progress, but like definitely in that direction. Yeah. But I think like the care that I've given myself as definitely a pregnant person and a parent has also really sort of initiated that that shift in some ways. Like I eat, I eat food and not too much, just enough. I, you know, have not had an active eating disorder for many, many years, which, you know, that was like a very particular kind of disembodied embodiment way to live. Um, you know, um, I will sleep now when I'm tired, mostly that's, that's like a work in progress, but, um, but really like the ability to say, like, I, to say no to something, to say like, I am not. We were, my partner and I were on vacation a couple of weeks ago and we had like gone running the first day and the next day he was like, do you want to go for a run? And I was like, no. And I could like barely get it out, you know? Um, and it's the same thing. It's like, you know, to say no to anything, like that feels like a new option for me. The last question is, if your kid grows up and writes a tell-all about being your family and being parented by you, what would they what they say? I feel like my need for order in the house is right now the thing that it would be like, this is what my mother did to me. Yeah, I think like my kid would definitely be like, every time I put a glass down, my mom picked it up before I was done drinking it. <laughs> Which feels like a low-key trauma in the scale of things. But you know, and then the other thing, not that this would be like a negative at all, but like her dad and I are really loving to each other and they see that and like that feels like such an important thing to model.
Thank you for taking the time to talk with us. So nice to meet you. This has been great. Thank you so much. So nice to talk to three people at once. (laughs) I'll see you on the internet. Bye. (laughs) Thank you.